Hello and welcome to episode number 71 of The Heart of Teaching. I'm Nathan Rivers, and today's episode is entitled, The Hall of Famer. If you know anybody in the community that's making a difference, send us a DM on Instagram. We'll shout them out in an upcoming episode and explain their impact on the community. This week, we'd like to recognize Carol and Don Nielsen for their decades of contributions to the greater Vancouver community. Your tireless efforts ensuring that those marginalized have a hot breakfast and safe space each Saturday is inspiring. So many people look up to you. Thank you for all that you do. If you haven't done so already, be sure to follow us on Instagram. The link to do so is available in the episode description. The Heart of Teaching proudly supports Mom Stop the Harm. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to The Heart of Teaching. I'm Dave Ruzicki with my student producer and my great friend, Nathan Rivers. Thanks for being with us today. In this episode, I get to have a conversation with one of the winningest freshman football coaches in our nation, Mr. Daryl Hall. Now, Daryl is the former principal and football coach at St. Thomas More Collegiate in Burnaby, BC. Daryl has a total of 13 provincial championships to his resume in several decades, and nine of which were consecutive titles. He's actually been inducted into the Burnaby Sports Hall of Fame and has a brick with his name on it on the municipality's Walk of Fame. So in this episode, we talk about success and his philosophy regarding young men and what it takes to build a winning culture. There's some great lessons for all coaches and teachers, regardless of what sport you're involved in. So sit back, learn, and enjoy. Daryl, thanks, uh, thanks for being on the program today, and I've got to ask you, so to be as successful as you were, how'd you do it? Well, when you say as successful uh, as we were, I guess uh, probably what we're most known for is winning nine championships in a row. Um, but we also won 10 out of 11. So when I look at those years, um, you say, well, how did you do it? I don't think it's any one thing. I think every coach would tell you that there's always a combination of things. And I sort of thought about it a little bit when you asked me the question and I thought, yeah, it's probably about 10 key things that I would focus in on. Although I'll say 10, but it's more like seven and some of them are just like a subgroup, right, of the other. But I think the first thing that both you and I would agree upon that when you're dealing with young men, sorry, young boys, your first job is to turn them into men. And I really think the very first thing we do as coaches like I'm coaching at the grade eight level. These are 13-year-old boys. Um, most of them never played football before. You, if you're lucky, you've got three or four kids that maybe played community. Uh, they don't even know how to put on the equipment. And you're starting with them fresh every year, a whole new group. And they're boys, right? Now you got to turn them into men. And it's one of the first things I tell them. I want to turn you into a man. I don't want you just to be a boy. And by a man, I mean you're going to take responsibility for being here being on time, you're going to commit to the team. There's not going to be excuses about, you know, oh, I had something better to do. No, you commit to the team. Even if you're injured, if it's possible, you will come and you will watch our practice. You'll be there or you're on the field with us. If we're playing a game, you're there to watch because you're there to support the team. Yeah, that's what I mean by making them into men. You try to build their character. 
It's about hard work. It's about discipline. It's about being out there in the mud and the rain and the cold uh, and telling them, hey, that's what you're going to have to play in, so that's what you practice in. And I think that's one of the first things that you do is try to turn boys into men. I think that's really important. Um, second of all, what goes with that, it's not a separate category, is that you got to create a culture of success amongst these kids. You've got to get them to believe. Like I always said to them, we're here to win a championship. I never said we're, we're just here to play football or, you know, we hope we win a few games. No, we're here to win a championship. Now, whether we do or not, it's a whole different thing, but we're here to win a championship. That's the culture that you try to create. I must admit, it gets easier. Once you've won one championship, it becomes a little easier to convince the next group of kids that you get that maybe we could win another one. And once you win three or four in a row, it becomes even easier to convince the next group that, hey, we really can win these championships. And the more championships you win, the more that culture of success just keeps breeding. Right, right I agree with that. Um, and the other thing is I want them to understand that, I tell them, you got to earn a position. That's by becoming again from a boy to a man. You earn a position. Every one of you should be trying to be a first stringer. You want to be on the first string, whether it's offense, defense, whether it's on the special team. You want to be first string. It's a competitive world. You got to earn it. You don't give it granted to you. It's not just given to you. You earn your position. So it creates great competition in practice and it leads to excellence. And it's that culture of excellence, that culture of success, that culture that we expect to win. So I think that's one of the first things that, from my perspective, is create that competition, create that expectation, create that culture, and don't allow them to be boys, force them to be men. So can I ask you, did you, have you ever had pushback from parents? Because now, for some of our friends down south, grade eight football, it would be the equivalent if you're down south to freshman football. So once again, uh, nine freshman football championships in a row, 12 total, is that correct? Yeah. 12 total. So now you've got 13 year old boys, some parents will say they're still children. What do you do with a parent that says, I'm not sure if this is the right philosophy for my child or son, but the, the, the children want to do it? It's interesting. I, in my years of coaching, I didn't run into it. Really? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I, most parents were seem to be quite enthusiastic about their kid playing on the team. Uh, I never got any pushback about that. I don't remember an incident. If there was one, I can't remember one. I really don't. I don't have any recollection of that. I wonder today, though, whether I'd run into more opposition. Mm. Um, I think there's more helicopter parents that are out there, um, ones that are more concerned. Um, I don't know. I, I come from a different time frame in the sense that I stopped coaching for the most part. I did come back. I stopped in 2006, uh, and then I came back for another year, a number of years later, to help out a new coach And at you the school, won as well. And we won a championship again, right. which was good. But the thing is, uh, nowadays, I'm just not, I, I don't know. If I came back and I coached, would, would I get some pushback from some parents? Am I pushing these kids too hard? Uh, maybe. Because I did things too. Um, which to me this is another point but part of success is um, challenge the kids so when I say challenge them for example I want these guys to get really good so one of the things I would do is bring grade 9s and 10s down to practice against my grade 8s now they're selected ones who I knew what they'd be like and they know what I expect out of them but I'm trying to get my grade 8s not to be afraid and if you can play against grade 9s and 10s, why can't you play against grade 8s? It's going to be easy. It's not going to be so hard. And so 
I would bring them down and have them work against them so they got started to gain confidence to go against bigger kids, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit right. more knowledgeable. And that was to prepare them for the playoffs. You don't do it right away at the very beginning of the year, but you do it maybe about three-quarters of the way through the year when you're coming close to playoffs and you're trying to get the kids ready for that next level. Now you bring them in. Whether that would go over with some people nowadays, I don't know, but it certainly worked for us. Yeah, it. I agree with that. I did that this past season, actually, uh, where we brought some of the boys down from the senior team because I'm coaching JVs for the listeners that aren't aware of it. And uh, we had grade 11s and 12s playing against some of the grade 10s to give them a, a better idea of what skill looks like and how much faster. So, so again, but my thing was my boys are older than yours, so you still got a, a younger group of kids. But it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting you said faster. One of the things, one year what I did, oh, not one year, a couple of different years I did. Um, you remember Johnny Cornish? Yes. Maybe some of the people listening to the broadcast here might recognize Johnny Cornish because he's a CFL All-Star and you know for Calgary Stampeders up here in Canada. Um, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer on top of it. And uh, I got to coach him in grade A football, so sort of nice. Uh, but when he moved on and became, uh, he was running, he was now a grade 10 and playing for the JVs, we were going up against that year a team that had the fastest kid in the Metro Vancouver area playing for this other team that we were going against. And I wanted our kids to get faster, to get be able to catch a kid like that. Right. Because up to, we hadn't played them and we weren't going to play them until the playoffs, but we knew we were going to have to come up against this kid that was just super fast. And so I was just trying to make sure our guys would get to that spot where they, because they love to run this kid wide. And I said, we got to get there. So I had Johnny Cornish come down and just play a tailback position and we'd toss him the ball. And he would just run these wide all the time. And our guys were not to tackle him because they wouldn't be able to tackle him anyhow because right, right. Johnny would just run through them. But Johnny just knew run as fast as you can to the outside and force our defense to have to get there. And the idea was to get there and just touch up on him. But just show me you can get there. Get there. And we just kept doing it over and over and over. And the kids were there. So when we got to play this team in the playoffs, his speed was not a problem for us because we'd already practiced against a, even a faster guy than they had because Johnny Corners is one of the fastest guys in the lower right. mainland. So, right. But he's a grade 10 fast, not a grade 8 fast. Right. And so I, mean, I did this on more than one occasion. So I've done it with some other guys too, bring them down to get us against speed. Um, so that's, yeah, it's just another way of trying to prepare your boys, right? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because what ends up happening is the kids play against skilled players. And when they're you know playing against another team, have that much more success because they've already been there. They see what big and what fast looks mm -hmm. like, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. You had some other points. So you had points two and three. Well, um, I think just just a small little point about practices. Um, you know, they all got to be there, and they got to be on time. And I think that's important. I, I said it's part of building the character, but I think also it's not just that. But you want to also make sure that practices are not the same. And that they're also there's got to be some fun. The kids got to enjoy the game. They got to be part. Of, so they got to want to come to practice. You got to make make it You're a place so where they right. want to be. So right on. Right. You can't just sort of make it drudgery. Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so yeah, you're going to pursue excellence. Yeah, you're going to make them work hard. You're going to do all those types of things. But you got to make it fun too and enjoyable, so they want to come back for more, and they don't mind coming out in the freezing cold and in the rain. I mean, they don't love it, but they get to enjoy it. So like, you know, you've seen it. You know, kids are 
guy, these guys are throwing themselves in the puddles, like in the yeah. end, like you know, they're throwing themselves into the mud, and they make it fun for themselves, and we make it fun for them. So you change up the drills. You let them create some of the drills. Let them tell you, hey, let's do this today, coach. Okay, let's go do that today. And I think when you do that, I think it makes a difference too. Um, and what one of the key things I I think for all it's got to be for all levels, but I think especially for the freshman level, uh, for the grade eight level, especially since so many of them have not played before, is simply. You're not going to be successful unless they know how to block and they know how to tackle. It's the fundamentals of the sport. And what I said to any of these students that come up and want to play, I say, unless you can show me you can block or tackle, you don't play. Because you're a danger to yourself or you're a danger to one of your fellow teammates. You can't have a guy in there at guard and he's not going to block the guy, the tackle over top of him, and he leaves our quarterback who turns his back to hand off the ball and our quarterback gets killed. That can't happen. So show me you can block, show me you can tackle, then you get to play. But if you can't block and you can't tackle, well, then you're not going to play. And if you're not willing to block and tackle, you should find a different sport. The sport's not for you. So one of the things I prided ourselves on was that I think, I'll never know because I never went into other people's practices, but I think we did more tackle drills than any other team did. And that was to toughen them up, to know it's an aggressive sport, and you're going to have to overcome your fear of tackling, of hitting your body up against somebody else's body, somebody who's maybe bigger than you. I can't guarantee you who you're going to hit in the game, you know. And they're running back, even in grade eight. He he might he might be five foot ten and 180 pounds coming at you, and you're a 110 pound kid. You still got to tackle him. You can't run away. You got to be willing. You go for his ankle. I mean, go low. I mean, but don't you dare run away. You can't play the game. You can't do that. You owe it to your team. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to being a man. You're going to stand up there, and you're going to do your best job, try to bring that guy down. So we did lots of tackle drills, lots of blocking. Show them the techniques. Show them how to do it so it's done safely, but also you got to be hard. you got to be aggressive. We want to be the team that nobody else wants to play against. You know when you play us, you're going to get hit. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. Basic Absolutely fundamentals. essential. Basic fundamentals. I don't care what X's and O's you have, what offense or defensive system you want to run. It's hopeless unless you can block or tackle. It just don't matter. It just doesn't matter. So that was one, another one of my points. And one of the things, too, people say, oh, well, you know, you just always won championships. No, I didn't. When I first started coaching, we lost. I learned from other coaches. I learned from the best. I watched what they did, what, what, what great programs that were out there that were really successful, what coaches I came up against me that I went, huh, oh, they beat our butts. Oh, we got outcoached. That's my problem. Okay, I got to get better at this. So I learned my craft. When I look at, though, the last... 18 years of coaching that we did. We won 12 championships in 18 years, but nine of them in a row. So the last nine that I did in a row, we won nine championships in a row. That comes from creating what I would say in the end, I learn from all the mistakes all the way along, and I learn from the other best coaches out there and the best programs out there. And I was able to assimilate all kinds of stuff I learned from them. How do they beat us? You know, what did they do well? And then I started to put things like that into practice. Now, of course, you have to create your own identity and you, you pick and choose, but you learn. And as you learn, you get better and better, and then you can become successful. It's not like I, maybe some people can just do it right off the bat. Not me, I'm a little slow learner. Um, but eventually, you get the craft, and then you can convey it, and then you get that confidence in, here's our formula. Our formula is this, this is just what, how we do things. And you start doing the things the same way every year, like you know what you're doing, you know how you're gonna prepare them. Uh, and that's so important. And preparing them is huge. But it's also, people sometimes also forget that 
I don't care what level you're at, sometimes we think, well, they can't really do that. Oh, they can do more than you think. You just have to have some faith in them and also train them up. Let's give you an example. Um, we went into one uh, final, championship final, where we knew we were going up against a team that was, they never give up more than one touchdown a game. That's number one. Never give up more than one touchdown a game. Most games, they give up nothing. Um, we had played them earlier in the year, beat them 6 nothing, one touchdown. It's all we scored. Um, their defense was tough, and we didn't have a great offense. And the only reason why we scored in that game is because they fumbled in their own end, deep inside their 20, and we picked up that fumble, and then we were able to simply drive it for like, you know, 18 yards, right. and, you, and you scored. Um, because all game, it was between the 30s, the 30-yard lines. Both teams, defenses were just solid, shutting each other down. Neither offense really able to move tremendously against each other. So these are two great defensive teams is how I looked at it. I said, well, number one, we've got to be able to score against these guys in the end. Can't, and we can't just rely upon scoring once. We're going to have to be able to score at least twice to be able to win that football game for sure. And then I'm looking at their team and I'm going, that defense of theirs, though, it's so hard to because what they do is they run a 50 front but they run this 50 front but they run a, a 50 tight or a 50 wide I called it 50 tight 50 wide um, they're 50 tight they, they simply have uh, they'll have a nose guard but then they'll have two tackles that are right really over top of your guards and then they'll leave the tackle and then they'll have the ends come in tight as well they'll call it 50 tight and the linebackers spread a little bit wider but then when they go 50 wide, you got a nose guard, but now you've got nobody over your guards, and your tackles are playing outside shoulder on your tackles and outside shoulder still on your ends. But the thing is, I I watched enough tape on these guys, and still the coaches were so good. You, it was really hard to predict what they were going to do down in distance, whether they're going to go tight or whether they're going to go wide. So what did you do? Well, that's just it. What do you do? So I looked at my team, and I said, okay, I got a quarterback in grade eight. He's... He's not a great, not a great passer. He can't really run. He's great though. He does not make mistakes. He hands his mechanics and his execution of handing off the ball is tremendous. It's awesome. And he's extremely bright. And he learns quickly. And what I did with him, we had two weeks to prepare for this team. And what I did was I said to them, guys, you know who's going to call the game to this week? It's going to be your quarterback. He's going to call the game. So you gave a 13-year-old the responsibility of play calling on offense? He came up to the line of scrimmage. He saw whether they were in a 50 tight or a 50 wide. And if whatever play call I had actually called, he had a right to change it as soon as he saw them, whatever defense they were. And I made it simple so that a simple, a simple you know, color scheme, et cetera, and all the rest of it, simple audible calls that our kids understood. We practiced it over and over, though. So we had the scout D constantly going tight, so constantly going wide. Quarterback comes up, reads the defense. So if we had called, say, some sort of a play that was designed to go up the middle, but they're in the 50 tight, he'd immediately call it off, call the audible, we're going wide on them. Whenever they went wide, we called in. Because we weren't a passing team, and we weren't, so, we, we had to run either out or wide, but we had to run against our play call would always be the right play call because we catch them in the wrong defense. So this is your your explanation of success because never underestimate what the capabilities of the kids are. Yeah, it wasn't just him. The whole line, the running, everybody had to be all hear the play call, hear the change, and make sure they react accordingly. But it was up to the quarterback. He called eighty five percent of the plays. In that game, wow. in a championship game, he called the plays 
and I trusted him to do it. Having faith in the young adults that you're working with. But also... Trust. But also knowing that they are capable of more than you think they can do. you got to trust and believe in them. Now, could I do that with every quarterback that came in grade 8? Probably not. This kid, I knew I could do it. And that's the thing, too. Coaching, realizing what can those players that you've got, what can they, are they capable of doing? With that for you, okay, so these are grade 8s. If you're coaching at the senior level, so never underestimate what the capability of your players are. Now you're dealing with 17 and 18-year-olds, same kind of philosophy. I would take it all the way through, although I haven't coached at the senior level, but I can't see why it wouldn't apply at all levels. It's the same thing in a classroom as a teacher. Don't underestimate what these kids are capable of. If you want excellence, you have to expect excellence that they're capable of it. So if you want to create a culture of excellence and a culture of expectation that you're going to win and excel, well, then you got to believe in them and you got to show it and make it happen. That's how it happens in the end. And the kids rise above levels that even they expected they could do. That, so that becomes really important. That's just one example of, I think, trusting in your kids and challenging them. Like I've heard people say, for example, to me before, well, you can't, you shouldn't be pulling guards and tackles at grade eight level, et cetera, because they can't really do it properly. I go, really? I said, if you train them, they can. Sure they can. You just got to train them. Now, it takes more work. It takes a bit more time. Obviously, if you're at the senior level, it's much easier because these kids have played for so long and they're much more talented. They understand the game better, et cetera. They got better control of their bodies, but grade eights can do it. Just to give you an example of what we did, uh, again, in a final game, I, had, I created this. We, we, we never ran this play before the final, but we've been running it all year in practice. But I said to the kids, we're not using this until we get to the final. Well, Coach, how about if we don't get the final? I beg your pardon? We we'll always get to the final. So you know we're going to be there. Yes, coach. Yes, coach. Okay, we're going to be in front. So we're saving this. And I said, all it was, we pull the guard and tackle on the same side we're running a toss. We pull them on the same side in grade eight, pull them both, and they would zip around. And then our, and the key thing is the execution between, by the way, that was one of my other points I would have mentioned. Execution is absolutely, it's not how many plays you want, fewer plays, execute well. Execution is absolutely essential. We practice this over and over again. It's the, the pitch angle that the quarterback has, the speed of the pitch, the angle of the pitch. It's where the running back gets the pitch. This play doesn't work unless all these things are in tandem with each other. The guy's got to make sure that they're pulling down the line, that they're not bellying out. Right? They've got to make sure they're pulling down the line. That end's got to block down hard. These guys pull around. But what we had to do is prepare. How about if they run a blitz right up the area on the side that we want to run this toss? Will this play work if we run blitz? So in practice, we had, once we got the, it all down, we said, okay, now let's have blitzers come. Blitz, blitz us. Hard, fast, right on our count. Can you stop it? And they couldn't. Now I know that play is going to work no matter what. We were at uh, towards the end of the game, and they had just gone down to our, they went for it on fourth down inside our five-yard line, but we stopped them. So we're like on our three-yard line. We take over the ball. There's still about three and a half, four minutes left in the game. we got to get a, if, if, we're, if we get stopped here, we got to punt out of our own end zone. That's just a danger zone, especially in grade eight yeah, As much as you train them up, you just don't know if that kid's going to get the snap back, if the kid's going to catch it, if he's going to be able to punt it deep enough. But you're in trouble if you don't. We ran, we ran first of all, a counter play, which we knew works. We've, worked, we've used it before. It's a great counter play. A lot of people say, don't run it that close to your end zone. Yeah, that's what, they don't expect us to run it then. That's when to run it. We ran the counter play. We land up on our 35-yard line. From that point onward, now I'm running this play, this toss play. 
We run it four times in a row. We gain two first downs just by running this four times in a row. They can't stop it. And we keep running it, and we keep running it. And then all I did, I countered back the other way off the toss. And then we, and then we break. So it's repetition, repetition. It's repetition, repetition. It's execution. It's setting up the other team. They get so concerned about that toss. You fake that toss. Everything looks like it's a toss, and it's countering back the other way. But it's the execution of it and getting your players. You know, they can't do that. Yeah, they can do that. You just got to work them over and over again. So I've got to ask you, the transition between what you're doing on the football field with these kids, all right, so we're talking about football, how does that, what's the transference into a classroom? Because what some people may not be aware is you're a, you were the principal of the, the school at the time. How many years were you principal? At Eleven. Houston? Eleven years. You actually, you hired me and brought me in. Everybody makes and a mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had guy. to get you on this. And I was going to and I was going to say you were one of the better administrators I've ever had. Well, that, that one's gone. That, one, now. that one's you. gone. Yeah, that's no, finished. That's okay. finished. Well, we understand each but other. But what's what do, what's the transference? I kind of know and you kind of know, but if there are young coaches out there who are teachers, what can you say about the classroom and the coaching? What's the the common element there? I don't think you can say that there's an automatic transfer. You hope that there is, and I believe that there is um, with kids. Like, if, if they're always coming on time, if they're disciplined, if, that's going to carry over not just into a classroom. It's going to carry over, I think, everything they do in life. At least you hope that it does. That's why you're trying to build their characters here. It's not just about playing the game of football. It's building their character. It's building who they are as a person. In this case, with young boys, turning them, as I said earlier, into men. That's what you want them to do, and then you hope that they take that off the field wherever they go, in a classroom, in a workplace, wherever they go, you hope that's what they take with them. But can you guarantee it? No, of course not. But that's what you hope. Because you're not just training them to be a football player. You're training them for life. That's right. That's right. It's 100%. You aligned yourself with coaching staff, men that were, uh, men that were good. Did you ever run into a situation where there was somebody on staff that you felt didn't fit the mold? You ever run into a situation where someone didn't quite, what may not be the best for kids? You ever had a situation like that when you were coaching? Hmm. I don't think, not that coach with me. Yeah. No. I, I, like, I think part, that's all part, to me it's all part of it too. If you create a culture of, amongst the players, you're also creating a culture amongst your coaching, coaching staff. staff. It's the same idea of the discipline, the hard work, and then the idea that we're in this together and we're going to support each other. You know, so if a player makes a mistake, other players shouldn't be getting on it. They should be uplifting them, right? Be right. there to support them. Well, if a coach makes a, you know, you can look at the end and say, well, you know what? We blew that call. Like, that was dumb on our part or whatever. Well, we support each other on that. We don't yell and scream at each other or get upset about that. You just simply move to the next situation uh, and improve yourself. Um, you support each other. I mean, that's, again, part of the training of life, right? Like, It'd be like in a family, right? Something goes wrong in your family. Well, you hope you're going to support each other still. You know, you're not going to turn on each other, but rather support each other. Something goes wrong. Uh, hopefully you would do this across all aspects of life. You hope, right? That would be the case. Um, it, could, it was interesting when I, because the way our school was, for some, uh, obviously some people that aren't familiar with. So we have three programs. We have the, uh, the senior, the JV, which is what I was doing, and then your program, the, the freshman program. But because you and I were usually coaching beside each other like you were mm -hmm. down the field. Never heard yelling, no screaming, no yelling, always support. And I think that was a key thing as well. Kids weren't in your program, kids weren't afraid to make mistakes. Because if they did make a mistake, they were corrected, they were shown how to do it appropriately, but they were given that opportunity to correct what they had, right? 
mm-hmm. the mistakes that they had made, which is so important, as opposed to someone that goes, what the heck are you doing? And then the poor kid is in a situation where they're, they're scared to try and, you know, do something for fear of, you know, making a mistake. But never saw that, never saw that with, with those kids at all. No, it's the same with your program, right? Like, the kids love playing for you, right? And part of the reason is because you create a culture around where they want to play for you. They don't want even want to... It, it's not something we sort of strive for so much, but it's like, a, it's just one of those things that comes with it that when you create that right culture and the kids want to play for you, etc., they don't want to disappoint you. Right. I, 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 you know you know who I'm talking about, Casey yeah. Steele. Yeah. Uh, for those, again, listening to this program, uh, Casey Steele was a senior coach at our school and one of the best coaches ever, I think, uh, for like hard work, determination, you know, character building, you name it. He epitomized it all. And I remember I had two sons play for him, so I know. Well, two of my sons played for him. And both of them said to me in the end, you know, the last thing I'd ever want to do is disappoint Coach Steele. I will, like my, my I, I, I will play on a broken leg if need be, but I, I'm, I'm going to be there for him. Because he generated that type of commitment from the kids. Now, you don't want kids playing on a broken leg. Don't mistake what I was trying to say there. But what, the point is they're saying we're willing to go to the wall for right. him. It's, and for, you know, not you know, for each other as players, but also for that coach because they just respected him so much. And to me, like, I don't think there's probably been a, maybe a more motivating coach that the school's had than maybe Casey Steele. That has to be earned, right? Like those kids, he oh, earned that. Absolutely, he, he earned did. that. Absolutely. Yeah, he earned that. And so when you create that, again, culture, Casey Steele created it. You create it in your program. I've tried to create it in my program. If you can create that type of culture, then hopefully, as I said, maybe then those kids take that culture with them wherever they go, and that's what you hope, right? Yeah, and ultimately kids vote with their feet. Oh, yeah, for sure. Kids will vote with their feet. For sure. If you end up having a program that uh, you're getting, you know, 12 or 13 kids, sometimes you have to reflect on what you're doing and what you may need to continue to do to be successful mm-hmm. because the numbers obviously should be more than that. If your, your numbers are dropping off, something, something's not happening. And so, you know, you've got, to, uh, you've got to ensure that those kids want to be part of that program. Something just popped through my mind when you were speaking about uh, just earlier what we were talking about there. And... I was thinking that one of the things that kids should learn from us is how well we also prepare for practices, for games, so that they learn to prepare for the things that they do in life. Practices, games, but prepare for school, prepare for those tests, prepare for those assignments, prepare for life. How well do you prepare? Preparation is one of the one of the ones I would have had in part of my ten points, but preparation is absolutely key, and I really think. One of the key, when you ask what's one of the keys of the success of that grade eight program, I really believe we outprepared the vast majority of coaches that we played against. We just outprepared them. Uh, like I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember we were playing against a particular school, and they they were in a different division than us, so we weren't we we didn't play them throughout the the league season, and we had heard about them, uh, but I heard about them and I went, we're going to land up playing them in the playoffs. They were the highest scoring team in their, their side of the division. Uh, they were scoring four to six touchdowns a game, uh, the most high-powered offense. And we, that year, were not an extremely great offense, but we were strong defensively. That was our strength again. And, and he went, okay, up against these guys. No other team was having any way of being able to stop these guys 
over and over again. And I just went, okay. So what I had to make sure we did that year, and this is back at a time when getting, it's not like tapes were all shared amongst coaches, et cetera, right. and stuff like that. It, was, right. it comes from a different time frame. I had people out there taping these guys. So I had five, I had five videos on these, on their team. Cause I wanted to see what their tendencies were and if there's any weaknesses I could find or any, any things that tip you off about what they're going to do. And I watched, my wife still hates me for this, um, but I watched those over and over and over again until I found something I could use that really, I just went, interesting. This team, they have, they have this outstanding running back, but he plays running back. He plays fullback. He plays slot back. He plays receiver. And the thing that you, I figured out after I, I said, I want to make sure, I said, I, I figured it out watching two tapes. I said, I'm going to watch them all. I want to see if I can see the same thing all the time. Same thing all the time. Wherever he goes, the play goes. It, it, whatever side of the field he's on, that's where the play's going. Well, now you've just told us where the play's going. You just made our defense a lot easier to stop. Right. And here's what I also found out. Whenever he's in the receiver position, there's only there's only two different plays that they run out of that receiver. When he's there, there's only two different plays that they run. When he goes to slot, there's only two different plays that they run. When he's when he's playing a split back position and he's on whatever side he splits on, that's the side the ball goes to. Well, now, thank you very much. You just guaranteed us a win. Because you know what the play is. I know what you're going to do research. before you even do it. And you know what I've done with our our our, our scout teams, etc. We just put up these guys. And I make sure his colored jersey with his number, and we got a kid playing that position wherever he lines up. Everybody now recognizes right, it. Nice and then what happens? You do this over and over and over again. And what you're doing is, it's it's making the kids faster to get there too, because they're going to recognize it quicker. And you're creating muscle memory. So you're creating all that muscle memory because you do this over and over. We just keep flashing up the plays, running them over and showing them every way that you're going to see where this guy lines up. And that game, interesting. We beat them by four touchdowns. They only score once. Preparation. Are we just out prepared? You know what they did? I we knew they we've been watching to see for their scouts, etc. Never never taped us until our game right before we were playing them. They were too cocky. They just got one tape on us, and we were playing a team in that first playoff game that we knew we could beat. I didn't have to show a darn thing. I stayed in one defensive look the whole game. I ran probably the equivalent of maybe five basic plays because we could beat them doing that. Because what do you, you don't need to run up a score. Why do you need to do that for? You need to show a thing. I showed them nothing, so their film gave them absolutely nothing. I even had a few guys playing positions not quite where they normally play because I knew that they were just filming that one game. I said, good, fine. Then wait till you see us when you actually play us in the semifinals. We're going to be totally different. And you, the defense you just saw, oh, we'll be in it sometimes but we won't be in it all the time. And you're not going to even know that we play this different defense that you're going to see in the end. And you're not going to know that we shift on you. We played one another team where um, they were uh, simply outstanding. They were better, better than us across the board in all departments. Uh, we played them in the final. Uh, they should have beat us by four touchdowns. They're not going to. Uh, we're going to win that football game. But we set them up too. Um, we had been playing one defense all year. They had beaten us earlier in the year in the league play uh, on our own field, and they rubbed it in our faces when they did, which was a great ammunition. I loved them for doing that. I, told, I, I took our kids aside, too. They were all down because it was the first game we had lost in a lot of years, and they were just all down and depressed and all that. I said, I said, what are you depressed about? I said, we ran one defense against them. 
I said, you know those plays that we practiced that we never ran? Yeah, coach, why didn't you run them? I said, because winning this league game is not going to win us the championship. It's okay to lose this game, but it's going to allow us to be able to win the final. They're already cocky. They think they can win. You know what they're going to do? They're going to come out and do the same stuff against us, thinking they can win. I said, guys, we did almost nothing against them, and we lost by one touchdown. I said, when we play them in the final, I said, we'll beat them by three or four touchdowns. That's strategy. I said, we won 32-6 to six that game. But they had beaten us on our own field. And then we beat them 32-6 to six in the final because we ran all kinds of stuff that they had no clue what was coming at them. So if I was going to summarize success, so you've got young coaches here. How would we summarize all of this stuff very quickly? What would you suggest? Um, treat boys like men. Expect the best out of them. They can do far more than what you think. Make sure that you out-prepare your opposition. Know who you're playing against. Come up with your strategies. Um, don't always save stuff. Don't show everything you can do during the regular season. If you know you're going to make the playoffs anyhow, which I knew our team was always going to make the playoffs, we, are, we never did not make the playoffs. We're going to make it every time. I don't have to win every league game. I just need to win every playoff game, and that's how I win championships. Now, it just so happens we went five years in a row without a loss in an exhibition game or in a league game or impressive. in a playoff game, obviously. Um, and then we went into our sixth year, and those kids were so – they thought that by wearing the uniform now that they were just automatically going to win, and they didn't realize it takes hard work to win a championship. And we lost our very first exhibition game. Best thing that could have ever happened to that team because they were cocky and they didn't want to work hard enough. After that, they were willing to listen. That's the last game we lost. So it's preparation. And fun. Fun, it's preparation, it's strategy, um, it's working them hard. Don't be afraid to work them hard. Sometimes people afraid, oh, we're working them too hard. No, their bodies can take more than you think. Work them hard. In the end, they got to be able to outrun the other team. you got to be able to outlast the other team. You know at our school, we've got usually small numbers compared to some of the teams that we yes. play. We know when we play a particular school across from the west side yes. there, they can have 55, 60 players on their grade 8 team or on their JV team. And I've had grade 8 teams that only have 23, 25 ball players on them. Right. Well, i got to make sure my guys are in shape so they can play both ways because they don't have to, but we do. So these are all the things that you just need to do, uh, I think. Treat them like men. Don't treat them like boys. And they'll respect that too. They'll appreciate the fact that you're treating them like men. And if you treat them like men, they'll behave like men. You treat them like boys, they'll behave like boys. Great, uh, great words. Great words. Daryl, congratulations on uh, being in the, uh, the Football Hall of Fame in Burnaby. Now, you were explaining to me um, earlier. So this is in 2006? No, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't remember when. Maybe 2008, maybe 2009. I don't know. They, they, they awarded it sometime back. I forget anything that lasts over a decade ago. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, what an accomplishment. <laughs> that is. That's such a great accomplishment. And you know what? It's well-deserved. Well-deserved. I want to thank you for this. I appreciate it. Great information. Uh, I think it's inspirational for, for coaches as a whole, not necessarily just young coaches, but kind of reaffirms some of the things that we may know. But it just, uh, yeah, adds more support to what we believe in things. So thank you for this. You're most welcome. Wow, some great words and so true. I'd like to thank Daryl so much for his words of wisdom and insight into his world and what it took to be a Hall of Famer. And there's certainly just a ton of great stuff to reflect on.
You know, as well, I'd like to personally thank him for all he did for so many young men and the impact he had on their lives these many decades. His accomplishments with these students, you know, honestly, far exceed any trophies or banners his teams may have won. Daryl was a rare coach, and, and he was a winner, both on that field and, more importantly, off. This is Dave Ruzicki with Nathan Rivers. Thanks so much for being with us. Till next week, please take care, be well, and as always, peace.